0: This is the Roast and Reason podcast. Join your host, Andrew Boyer, as we explore the world of specialty coffee. So grab a cup of your favorite coffee and let's dive in. Welcome to Roast and Reason. Hello, fellow coffee lovers. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited to have all of you back with me to finish our discussion on the different types of Arabica coffee varieties. And we are going to pick up right where we left off last time and discuss each of the common and major varieties of the Arabica coffee plant. I'm going to focus on the varieties that you as a coffee consumer are likely to come across on the bag of specialty coffee. I'm not going to talk about some really super obscure ones. I'm really going to focus on the ones that you are likely to come across. But first, I have an important bit of housekeeping that I need to share with you. Up until this point, I've aired a podcast episode every week on Wednesday. And I've decided to make some changes. I've decided to switch from every week to every other week. So there will be no podcast episode next week. I just wanted to let all of you know that. I don't want you to worry. Come next week. I didn't forget about you. I didn't forget to put a podcast out, and I'm not going anywhere. But I want to be able to continue to deliver really high-quality, interesting, and actionable coffee information, and I'm working on a few great interviews with some really interesting people in the coffee industry, and I just need time to put some of those together. So in order to accomplish that, the podcast will now air every other week rather than every week. All right. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get back to coffee varieties, and as a brief recap from last week, let's talk about the history of the Arabica coffee plant and where it came from. Arabica coffee originated in Ethiopia. From there, it spread regionally, throughout Ethiopia and then across the Red Sea to Yemen. Coffee really remained a regional crop and beverage for a long time, but once the Turks invaded the Arabian Peninsula, coffee, the beverage, not the plant, quickly spread throughout the Ottoman Empire and then to Europe. It really quickly became a very valuable and in-demand product, and so the colonial European powers of the time schemed and tried to and successfully got their hands on a few coffee plants. This happened when the Dutch smuggled coffee out of Yemen and planted it on their colonies in Indonesia, on the islands of Java and Sumatra. From this point, the French obtained coffee plants from the Dutch as part of a military treaty, and then they transported it throughout the world, planting it on their French colonies, starting with the colony of Martinique in the Caribbean island. These original coffee plants were very similar to one another, both genetically and phenotypically, so what they look like and taste like. And one of the most common Arabica coffee varieties today can be traced back to these original coffee plants, and that variety is Tipica, and that's where we're going to pick up the story in this episode. But before we discuss the Tipica variety, let's talk about how coffee buyers— And professionals evaluate coffee plants throughout the world. So when they travel to a coffee farm, what are these coffee professionals looking for? And most of them don't take a mini laboratory with them. So you can take plant material from these different Arabica coffee plants and evaluate their genetics to determine what variety it is. But most people don't do that. So instead, they use visual clues, So just like you would use visual clues to identify native plants or animals here in America when you're on a hike, that's what these coffee professionals use. And so what kinds of things can help tell different coffee varieties apart? Number one, the leaf. So here we are talking about the shape and the color of the leaf, the size of the leaf. Are the ends of the leaf curled up or not? Are there clearly visible veins in the leaf or not? All of those things can help point a knowledgeable coffee professional to one variety or another. In addition to the leaf shape and size, the plant shape and size. Some coffee varieties are very short, like a small bush. They just grow several inches tall, while others can be these tall spindly trees They also look at the coffee cherry and coffee beans. So the size, the shape, the color of the coffee cherry all point towards what type of coffee variety it is. And then the the size of the bean differs between different coffee varieties. The other thing that they look for in terms of the plant is what's called the internodal distance. And different plants, and yes, different varieties of coffee, have varying internodal distances. In a plant, a node is defined as a branch point. So the internodal distance is the distance on the trunk of the tree or on its branches between two different branch points. So all of this combined can tell coffee professionals what type of variety or what variety they are dealing with. And all of this was just a brief explanation of how these different varieties are identified on coffee farms. I'm not going to go into the appearance of each of these different varieties when we talk about them, because for you and me as a coffee consumer, I don't, I don't really care. I'm not really identifying these different varieties in the field. I want to know which ones taste better and which ones have unique flavor profiles to them. So that's what we're going to focus on. I'm going to focus on the history of how these varieties came about, how they are different from one another, and some classic flavor characteristics of each. And we're going to start with the variety that I already mentioned. And that's the variety that really turns out to be the parent or ancestor of many of the other varieties that we're going to talk about today. And this variety is called Tipica. It can trace its origin way back in history. And tipica, the word, comes from the Latin word for ordinary. And the tipica variety is just that. It's ordinary. Think of tipica as basically all of the coffee that was first planted throughout the world, other than Ethiopia. So this was the first variety of coffee that was planted on the Indonesian islands like Java and Sumatra. This Typica variety was the variety of coffee that was then transported by the French naval captain de Cloux from France to the New World, planted in Martinique. And then it was the first coffee plant that was planted throughout Central and South America. The Typica variety arose very early during coffee spread throughout the world. So it was this first variety that was planted. And because of this... This Tipica variety has taken on many different local names based on where or the region that we're talking about. And I'm not going to go into all of them, but there are some even very expensive and marketed names of coffee that are just plain old Tipicas. Have you ever heard of Jamaica Blue Mountain Coffee or Kona Coffee from Hawaii? These are really expensive coffees. They have a ton of marketing dollars behind them, and they kind of have this cult following. Well, honestly, they're both just names for the tipica variety that's grown in certain areas of Jamaica and Hawaii. And the same is true at different areas of the world as well. So, these tipica coffees, like any coffee or fruit or wine grape, they do take on some of the unique environment or terroir, as wine people talk about, of where they were grown. But these varieties do tend to have a fairly characteristic flavor profile. And this is going to sound like I'm being sarcastic here, but I promise you I'm not. Tipica coffee tastes like coffee. I'm serious. These varieties basically have a typical coffee flavor. So when you think of the flavor of coffee, that's what this Typica variety typically gives you. These coffees tend to be fairly muted when you compare them to an Ethiopian variety or even some of the other varieties that we're going to talk about, like the variety Bourbon. Personally, and this is my own personal preference, I tend to prefer unique flavors in my coffee. I like fruity or floral notes. And typically I prefer Ethiopian, native Ethiopian varieties for this very reason. And because of this, I personally find most Tipica coffees to be a bit ordinary. Don't get me wrong, a good Tipica can be delicious, but most that I've had are somewhat forgettable. And while both Blue Mountain Coffee and Kona Coffee are very well known and they're expensive, I've never really been impressed with either. I've never felt like either was particularly unique or special. And this is probably why, when it comes down to it, they are just tipicas. And I don't mean to degrade this variety of coffee at all. It is by far the most common Arabica coffee variety. It's the most common that you are going to come across as a coffee consumer, even in the specialty coffee world. And I've tasted many delicious coffees of this variety, but on a whole, as a generalization, they tend to be fairly typical with a muted coffee type flavor. They tend to be a little ordinary. So we're going to move on from the variety tipica. And the next variety that we're going to talk about is called Bourbon. So way back in history, the French didn't just send coffee to the island of Martinique. They also sent it throughout their colonial world, including to a small island in the Indian Ocean located near Madagascar. This island that we're talking about currently has the name Réunion, or reunion in English. But at the time that coffee was sent there, the island was called Bourbon. The coffee seeds sent to Bourbon were the same exact seeds from the plant in France that were sent to the island of Martinique. But for some reason, the coffee plants on this island, they mutated or they changed. It's unclear to me if this was a random genetic mutation, which sometimes happens and will actually go into a, cup, a couple instances where it happened that create other varieties, or if this coffee on the island of Bourbon crossed with some sort of native coffee species on the island. But regardless, the coffee on this island changed and it became a new variety of coffee that was called Bourbon after the island's name. And this Bourbon coffee is much more productive than Tipica, meaning it produces more coffee cherries and more coffee beans per plant. And because of that, it became extremely popular. And that makes sense, right? If you're a coffee farmer and you only have a certain amount of land, you want the most productive plants on that land. And because it was so popular and so productive, Bourbon was transported from this island and planted elsewhere, including Eastern Africa, Brazil, and throughout Central and South America. And because of this, Bourbon is the second largest or second most common variety of Arabica coffee today, second only to Tipica. And just like Tipica has taken on many local names, Bourbon has done the same. You might hear some names like French Mission, from that typically is Eastern African coffees. Well, French Mission is just another name for Bourbon that was taken from the island of Bourbon and planted directly in Africa. And then there are Bourbons that describe the color of cherries. So there are yellow Bourbons or red Bourbons, orange Bourbons, that's just named for the color of the coffee cherry of those varieties. And then there's many other names that I won't go into. And it's not just its relative productivity that makes the Bourbon variety special. The flavor is special too. And regardless of where Bourbon is grown today, these coffees tend to retain a rich and sweet flavor profile. So when you compare a Bourbon to a Tipica, Bourbon coffees tend to have much more sweetness, with a citrus or fruity flavor. And this characteristic and the sweet flavor of Bourbon is pretty classic and probably the reason why most of the award-winning coffees, most of the award-winning specialty coffees throughout the years, have actually been of the Bourbon variety. So let's, we've talked about the big two, Tipica and Bourbon. Let's keep going down our list. The mutation or change from Tipica to the Bourbon variety was not the only change or mutation that happened. And I mentioned that a couple native mutations of the Tipica strain happened and created different varieties. And something really interesting happened in a coffee-growing village in Brazil. Much like the rest of South America... Coffee farmers in Brazil originally grew the Tipica variety, but all of a sudden, farmers in this one village noticed that some of their coffee trees were different. They were noticeably bigger. The trees were bigger. They had bigger leaves. They produced larger coffee cherries, and the beans were bigger. All of this occurred from a random mutation of the Tipica coffee variety. It wasn't something that the farmers intentionally did, but they were fascinated by it because, frankly, people are fascinated by big things, and they realized they had something unique and interesting. So the farmers kept these plants separate, and they began planting more and more and more of these specific large, big seeds. And so this created a new variety or sub-variety of coffee which is named after the Brazilian village where they were grown and first discovered, and that is that village and the coffee variety are called maragohipe. This maragohipe coffee tastes very similar to típica in many ways it's just a, a big or gigantic form of típica. The variety occasionally is referred to as elephant or elephant bean due to its big size. And even though these coffees taste very similar to Tipica, so that classic coffee flavor, these Maragohipe coffees, they do tend to have a slight spicy or pepper undertone to them. If you ever come across this coffee, it's definitely worth looking at. The beans are dramatically larger than any coffee I had ever seen. So we're going to switch gears and talk about the fourth coffee variety. And this next coffee variety happened from another mutation, but this time it was a mutation of the Bourbon variety, not the Tipica strain. So after Bourbon became popular because of its productivity, it was planted throughout Central and South America and in Brazil. And this specific mutation happened in Brazil. A random genetic mutation, again, this was random. This was not intended by the farmers. This random mutation happened in a field of Bourbon coffee plants in an area of Brazil called Catora. And this genetic mutation was interesting. It affected only one gene. And it affected the gene that controls the internodal distance. Specifically, this mutation caused a shorter internodal distance compared to the Bourbon variety. And as a result, this new strain was smaller, more compact, more of like a bush, with branches clustered much more closely together. Otherwise, it was basically identical to Bourbon. But this change in size and branch pattern made the new plants much more productive even than the productive Bourbon. And the reason why is you could plant these plants much closer together, and they were easier to pick. This variety was named after the town where it first arose, and this variety is called Catura. Because Catura coffee is essentially the same as Bourbon, only smaller and bushier, the flavor profile is pretty much indistinguishable from Bourbon. So Think of that same rich, sweet, and fruity flavor that is characteristic of Bourbon coffees. This variety is popular with coffee farmers in Colombia, throughout Central America, as well as Brazil today. There are two additional, less common, natural mutations of Bourbon that you might stumble across, and I'm just going to mention them briefly. The first variety is Pacas. Pacas was first discovered by the Pacas family in El Salvador in 1949. This variety is also a type of, of dwarf or low-growing Bourbon, much like Catora, but it's not nearly as common. The flavor profile of this variety is very similar to normal Bourbons. Another variety is called Villasarchi. Uh, this is also a natural mutation offspring of the Bourbon strain and it occurred in Costa Rica. Villasarchi is also a short-growing dwarf-like plant. The cherries ripen red, and it has the same excellent sweet flavor notes that Bourbon's classically had. So thus far, we have focused pretty much on the two major varieties, Tipica and Bourbon. We've also mentioned a few other varieties that are basically just offshoots or mutations of those two varieties. But now we're going to totally change things. And now we're going to talk about the variety called Timor hybrid. This variety started on the Indonesian island of Timor. And it's a fairly recent variety, it's only existed since the 1940s. So in the 1940s, something really strange happened on the island of Timor that violates one of the commonly assumed laws or rules of biology. And that is normally different species, either different species of plants or animals don't mate and produce offspring. Dogs don't mate with cats, right? I I don't even know what you would call the offspring. Are they puppies? Are they kittens? I don't know. Pigs don't mate with cows. But sometimes in very rare instances, two different species can reproduce Particularly if they have enough similar genetic makeup. And that is exactly what happened in the 1940s on the island of Timor. Coffee farmers in this region were farming both Arabica coffee, Cafea Arabica, the species that we're talking about. This was the Tipica variety. And they were farming Cafea Canifora, or Robusta coffee. Now remember, those are two different species. But somehow, some way, hybridization happened. And the Arabica and the Robusta plants crossed and they produced several coffee plants that had very clear characteristics of both Robusta and Arabica coffee. And these plants became known as Timor hybrid. The benefit of Timor hybrid was that these plants had the disease and climate resistance and the hardy nature of a Robusta coffee. Remember, that's that's really the, the great thing about Robusta Coffee. And if you didn't listen to the episode or you don't remember it, I urge you to check out the episode where I really focused on the differences between Arabica Coffee and Robusta. So this type or this characteristic of Robusta was imparted on these Timor hybrid plants. And the the other benefit was the coffee that this new plant produced wasn't nearly as bitter as normal Robusta coffee. It was much sweeter, much more balanced, and with much more of that Arabic coffee flavor profile. And due to this really unique combination, the Timor hybrid plant was transported, became popular, and was planted basically everywhere throughout the 1950s and 60s. But there was a problem. The Timor Hybrid tasted better than Robusta. But it still had major flavor profile issues. It was better than Robusta, but it still just wasn't as good as the traditional Arabica varieties. And I I honestly don't think it's a coincidence at all that Timor Hybrid variety became popular and was planted throughout basically the entire coffee growing world in the 1950s at the exact same time that there was a dramatic decline in the overall quality of coffee worldwide. I think they're directly tied to each other. This is just not a good coffee variety. And I'm not going to go into flavor profiles here because, honestly, you're probably not going to come across this. Um, Most specialty coffee shops find this to be an inferior coffee variety and do not offer it. Uh, And in most cases, you want to avoid this one. It just doesn't taste as good. That's not to say that you might stumble across a Timor hybrid coffee from your favorite specialty coffee shop and it tastes delicious. If that's the case, great. But as a generalization, this is not one you want to seek out. And now we're going to transition to another variety. And this one is called Catamore. So this is an offspring of the Timor Hybrid. The folks in the coffee industry in the 50s and 60s, after they realized that they had a problem on their hand and the fact that, okay, we've planted all this Timor Hybrid, but it really doesn't taste good. What do we do with this? And and the reason why really was, even though it doesn't taste as good, there still are some very significant benefits of the Timor Hybrid. It was a lot easier to grow it was much more resistant to diseases that could literally ravage a field of Arabica coffee. So there were definitely some benefits of this variety. So farmers decided to cross the Timor hybrid with another Arabica coffee variety that we already talked about, one that is short and very productive, the Katura variety. And this hybrid plant took on a hybrid name. Katura and Timor hybrid became Katimor. And then Caddymore was planted everywhere throughout the growing world because this was the silver bullet, right? We now have a disease-resistant plant crossed with a super productive and better-tasting plant. Well, not so fast. (laughs) Caddymore also has flavor issues that stem from its robusta heritage. So today, many specialty coffee buyers and companies will shy away from most Catimore, most Caddymore coffees today because it just doesn't taste as good as many of the other Arabica varieties like Katura or Bourbon or even Tipica that we've already talked about. And then there are a number of other different names of varieties that you might come across. Some of these are hybrids. And I won't spend a ton of time on these But I do want to mention a few that you're more likely to come across. One is Mundo Nuevo, which is a cross between Tipica and Bourbon, which was created in Brazil. And then there's Catuai, which is a Brazilian cross between Mundo Nuevo and Catura. And then there are the SL varieties. And what the hell am I talking about now? There's a variety called SL-28. The SL28 variety was created by Scott Lab, that's where the SL comes from, in the 1930s. They crossed an heirloom coffee variety from Sudan with a drought-resistant Bourbon strain. And even though SL28 has kind of a bizarre and uninspiring name, it's actually a pretty rare, prized, and sought-after coffee variety. And the reason why is because it's delicious and has a really unique flavor profile. When you think of the flavor of SL28 and why it's so popular, really what we're talking about is this big, bold, juicy, and fruity coffee with some raspberry and plum flavors. And the flavor note that's most commonly described to SL28 and really hard to find in almost any other coffee variety is Black Currant. So SL-28 is like plum and raspberry and blackcurrant, like this big, bold, juicy, purple, red berry. There's another similar variety to SL-28 called SL-34. This is another Scott Lab creation where they used a French Mission type of Bourbon. It's very similar to SL-28 with that distinct, very fruity flavor characteristic but it's often considered inferior in quality and thus less desirable than SL28. One more hybrid, and then we're going to talk briefly about the native varieties that still exist in Ethiopia. And that last hybrid is called Pacamara. Pacamara was created in El Salvador in 1958. It crossed the Pacas variety with the Maragohipe variety. And just like the Maragohipe coffees, Pacamara plants have extremely large leaves, big fruit, and big coffee beans. Uh, And this variety, when done well, good pacamaras are delicious. They have a nice fruity and chocolate note combined. But this coffee, for whatever reason, sometimes has some weird herbal or onion flavor notes to it, which is pretty rare with most other coffee varieties. Let's talk about what exists in Ethiopia today, though. And basically, all that we've talked about so far are the typical and common coffee varieties that occur elsewhere throughout the world. In Ethiopia, there are literally several thousand native coffee varieties of Arabica coffee that still exist today. The rest of the world, we just have a handful. There's just a few dozen. But there's several thousand in Ethiopia. And many of these varieties only have common names that the locals or the coffee farmers call them. But there is a push to categorize and name these varieties. And in fact, the coffee company Counterculture Coffee, which is a great coffee roaster, by the way, if you haven't had their stuff, awesome coffee company, they recently released a book that's titled, A Reference Guide to Ethiopian Coffee Varieties. And I will link to it where you can buy this uh, or check out this book um, on Counterculture's website if you're so inclined. Um, I'll link to it on the show notes page for this episode on roastandreason.com. And Counterculture certainly is not the only coffee company or group that's working on this. So I really suspect that moving forward, maybe even as early as five to 10 years from now, we may actually start seeing a standard classification or naming system of some of these more popular native Ethiopian varieties. But for now, really what you're likely to see as a coffee consumer on a bag of Ethiopian coffee is something like heirloom varieties or native varieties. I think that probably will change at some point in the future, though. And most of those varieties, most of those native and heirloom varieties... Most Ethiopian varieties only exist in Ethiopia. There is one notable, prized, and award-winning exception, and that is the variety called Geisha. Geisha is named after the Ethiopian town of Geisha where it originated. It's not named for the Japanese women. It's the town of Ethiopia. And this variety has been planted elsewhere, particularly in Central and South America. And geisha from a specific estate called Hacienda Esmeralda in Panama is particularly prized and carries the distinction of being, to my knowledge, still the most expensive coffee ever purchased, tipping the scales at over $600, 600 US dollars per pound of green coffee. That is ridiculous. And the reason why these geisha coffees are prized is they have this beautiful, Subtle, delicious, citrus, floral, and even tea-like flavor profile. It's really hard to get these flavors outside of Ethiopian coffees. And so this Geisha variety kind of gives you an Ethiopian, a classic floral and citrus Ethiopian flavor profile elsewhere in the world. So now we all have an understanding of some of the common and well-known coffee varieties out there. And where they come from, how they arose historically, and the different flavor profile that you might expect from each. I really hope this gives you a bit more understanding and confidence about what to expect the next time you're tasting or buying specialty coffee. Some of the flavor differences between these coffee varieties can be extremely subtle. And they can certainly be overpowered by different processing techniques but they do exist. So hopefully now you know what to expect when a bag of coffee in your hand that you're thinking about buying says Tipica or Bourbon or Geisha or SL28. So thank you guys all so much for listening. And I hope you really got a lot out of this. I hope you'll tune in to the next episode of the podcast. And remember, no episode next week. So I will see all of you guys in two weeks. Take care, everybody.